Listeners, before we dive into our show today, I want to share something truly enlightening with you. A cozy spot in Midtown Toronto where the future of wellness isn't a pill or a potion, but something as simple and pure as light. I'm talking about the Toronto Light Therapy Clinic. And the best part is it's owned by an alumnus. And this is not just any clinic. We're talking about two fully furnished treatment rooms, each one a little oasis of calm right in the heart of the city. Imagine stepping into this space, ready to experience the transformative power of red light and infrared light therapy. They've got the latest gear to make sure you're getting the full body treatment. You didn't even know you needed. And the team is top notch. The certified staff at the clinic are committed to tailoring a wellness journey just for you, starting with a complimentary consultation. Whether you're seeking to rejuvenate your body, enhance your health, or simply bask in the glow of light therapy, they're there to guide you every step of the way. Remember, your comfort and transformation are their top priorities. I know it was when I was there. So visit torontolighttherapy.ca to book your session or learn more about their services. So why not embrace the radiant path to well-being? Give it a try, and I promise you'll see the light. Hey, I'm Ricky Tillo. I attended Newman from 1995 to 2000. My fondest memory of Newman is uh, the music room and uh, just being able to have a place to go and explore music, play guitar, and um, my favorite subjects in school were music. Welcome back to The Bluff. You're listening to part one of a two-part series all about Newman music. Whether it's been band arrangements for school plays, musical acts in the talent shows, or just hearing the sounds of students learning their instruments throughout the school day, those two music rooms are always alive with sound. Our special guest and co-host this evening have a unique perspective on both music at Newman but also on musical composition and all that goes into their very important and gratifying work in music. Like many accomplished musicians, they know the love and the labor in a life dedicated to music. Our guest host this evening, Marco Moroni, is a longtime music teacher at Newman and musician with band Salida. His dedication to his students is hard to quantify, but it is just as significant as his musical talent. Our guest today was one of his students around the time I was attending Newman. Ricky Tillo has gone on to have a very successful career in music, 
playing with artists such as Lady Gaga, Estero, Divine Brown, Socrates, and so many more. These stories today are not to be missed. There he is, the man of the hour, Ricky Tillo. What's happening? Not much, Rick. That's a nice setup you got over there. Yeah, this is like kind of where I've been living the last like a little bit as far as like getting stuff. Oh, hey. (laughs) Hey. Maestro. And then there were three. Oh, man. Is this really happening right now? This is actually a really long time in the making here. Isn't it? It's real. <laughs> so, Rick, are you in the U.S. or are you in Canada? Where are you at right now? No, no, I'm just here. I'm just here. Yeah. So if I, I come home from tour and this is like the only place. I mean, my folks live pretty pretty close to here. They're still at the same place when I was at, um, at Newman. So, yeah. Look, man, super appreciative you decided to do this. I know Marco and I are, are, are pretty stoked to do this interview, so... Thanks for agreeing to do this, man. I know you're a busy guy. The podcast sounds great, by the way. Immediately, as soon as you start talking, like in a different zone, like you take people on a journey when you're you're conducting the interviews, like you bring them in. Rick, man, that really means a lot. Thank you very much. Um, hey, I've been meaning to ask you since you came on. It, is that you that's playing the music in the background, or is it is it coming through? Uh, yes. Yeah, but I mean, it's oh. fine. That's crazy. Like this? That's crazy. It's wild that it's um it's going through because I had it like muted. <laughs> now it's muted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just messing around earlier, like um uh sound design stuff uh that I've been doing pretty much during the entire pandemic, like really just delving into guitar pedals and, and synthesizers and uh, just making my guitar not sound like a guitar. So I've just been making like these really crazy sample packs that um, I'm just submitting to different producers and writers and things like that. And then they can write stuff over, over top. And cause I don't really do that. I just really write guitar parts or like the music part. I never really write lyrics or I do melodies and things like that. Like, but, yeah, mostly just foundations of of things. You're doing a lot of sampling now. Yeah, yeah, sampling. But I try to do different things every day. Where I, you know, I'll write some chord progressions on acoustic guitar, or you know, um, if one of my producer friends have productions that they they want guitar on, then I'll I'll work on that as well too. Um, yeah, that's great. Always being creative. That's awesome. All the time. Yeah, it doesn't stop. <laughs> yeah, not much has changed. So. Yeah. Well, maybe that hasn't changed. You're still the creative force that you've always been. But I think a lot of things have changed in general with you. And we want to hear all about it today on the podcast. So if you guys are ready to start, uh, can I can I get going? You guys good to go? Yeah. Yeah, I'm down. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, gentlemen, I think a suitable place to begin is probably back at Newman. Uh, Rick, why don't you why don't you start by maybe illustrating the importance of, of that music program with Marco at Newman for the, I guess, four plus years that you were at the school. Uh, you know, tell us what, what that class, what those classes were like. 
music music class. It wasn't even just a class though. It was like um you introduced so much music, the range of music and just the learning the appreciation, how to appreciate music. And then also just having access to that room is really ahead of its time, like how you, you incorporated recording. For me, it was so huge just having access to be able to record on a computer. Like I'd never done that before. And you showed me how to do that and just gave me the opportunity to come in with my guitar whenever I wanted really. And then turn the amps up really loud. That was really fun. So (laughs) yeah. Marco, maybe you can speak to the flip side of that. What was it like having Ricky in your music class? Um, right from the get go, you know, there's, there's this, this myth that exists in uh, popular culture of the overnight sensation, but I would be remiss if I didn't say, uh, the hard work that he dedicated as a young guy, I would typically show up as I still do seven thirty ish in the morning, uh, at least an hour before school. And he was already waiting for me at the door. And as soon as the door opened, he'd go in. And if he wasn't practicing guitar, he was figuring out, you know, a drum, a drum pattern or going over to the piano, working out some, some chords. And then soon after, others would follow and they'd be singing and jamming. And then basically he was exploring. I always treated room as a, as a laboratory where they were allowed to experiment because, you know, I've always been of the belief that uh, young minds need to be exposed to creativity. We all creativity all of us do and especially in the they should be nurtured until they find something that, that that sings to them because we always sing from our our internal uh landscape uh so ricky was there early uh and he would rehearse and by himself and with others he would come in on the spare then we'd have band rehearsal and i remember how he would just take charge and and just basically make sure that everybody was, was, you know, uh, learning their parts and, and coming in on time. And, and if they didn't know their part, he was always gracious to, to help out. He was always helping me out. And, um, and then long after rehearsal would, would finish an hour and a half, two hours later, he would still practice. Then he'd go home, mm-hmm. maybe have something to eat and then still practice and keep working on his sound. And he did this for years. Uh, and so it, you know, that was, you know, his, his, his demeanor and just, you know, it was just incredible to watch. It was heads and shoulders above everyone else. Oh man. That's crazy to hear all these years later is really like not much has changed as far as like, I never really ever thought of it as work ever. And you were talking about going home, you know, I would have a little bit to eat, like hang out with my parents and my sister for a second, maybe watch a show. And then, but even while I was watching TV, I was playing guitar. This is before like, um, you know, headphone amps. So I just had my amp like blaring in the living room as we were watching TV. (laughs) (laughs) And, And then, and then they would be like, Oh, you know, maybe you should like stop doing that. So I would just go upstairs back up, up to my room. And then I had like a little, amp there or just take the amp that was in the living room upstairs and then i just keep playing and then never really kept some uh track of time that way it just kept going until it would be time to go to school again and i'm like uh uh-oh 
I don't really sleep, so <laughs> that's why I ended up being at school so early. <laughs> Now, Rick, I know family is really important to you. Uh, maybe you could tell us what role they played in your you know, development of your musical talent and, and in terms of parental support. How did that go when you were growing up? My, my dad actually um, showed me like the first like three guitar chords that I know, you know, is he, he brought my uncle's my um, uh, my dad's older brother. He brought his um, acoustic guitar home and I had already been taking piano lessons at like a uh, a little strip mall in in Scarborough, uh, like at Midland and Eglinton. So I was already learning like little conservatory things over there. This is probably when I was like, you know, eleven, maybe ten or eleven. And I remember seeing um, the guitar at in my living room, and uh, and I was like, Dad, whose guitar is that? It's like, oh, it's your your uncle's. And then he picked it up, and he started playing like a couple of chords, A, D, and E on there. Show me that. I want to learn how to do that. He, he showed me like, you know, the first three chords. It took a while. Like I, that guitar had the action of the guitar. The strings were so far from the neck. Like you really had to push down. And I remember being like, ah, oh, just sitting there and just try to make it work, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but I did eventually, you know, and then, and, you know, started just playing just those three chords over and over again until my dad's like, Hey, maybe you should take lessons at the same school um, for guitar. And um, yeah, they were, you know, my mom and dad were really supportive. My sister and I were also playing baseball at that time too. And my dad uh, and mom would always drive us to games and things like that, extracurriculars. And, you know, my, my sister also did dance as well too. And yeah. So no matter how busy they were, like they were always just constantly trying to get us to do, you know, and we were really interested in, in those things, you know, baseball and dance and, and, and music as well too. So, you know. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at the bluff 416 or check us out on Facebook at the bluff podcast, keeping alumni, current staff and students connected to life on the bluff. Was school something you looked forward to or was it just the music maybe once or twice a day that you looked forward to the most? I think, uh, you know, I was really interested in learning. That's the other thing people should should be mindful of, that you were a top eight plus student. Your, your marks were exceptional. Any, any classes that I was in, I, I really took seriously, tried to work hard and learn about everything, whichever teacher was teaching at the time, you know, um, and whatever subject it was. But at the same time, in the back of my mind, while I was in, uh, in those classes, I was like, let me just get this over with so I can get back to the music room as fast as possible, you know, <laughs> because I was also thinking about that too, while I'm like studying in Mr. Day's uh, science class, I'm like, this is really amazing stuff that he's teaching me. But at the same time, I'm like, man, what was the one line in, uh, in ain't talking about love, like Van Halen. I got to like get back to the music room and try to work that out or like, you know, um, but yeah, I was always thinking about so many different things at the same time. And then I feel like socially, like I suffered that way. I didn't really like hang out at the, like every, everyone would always hang out at the, like the front of the school, like where the cars were like a parking lot and like, 
I would just rush by and try to get to the music room as fast as possible. So yeah. Yeah. So I did miss out on a lot as well, but um, I don't know. Yeah. I understand that feeling that you might have that, that maybe you missed out on something, but, but take it from me. You didn't miss out on anything there. (laughs) That's the calling card of the creative, right? This is the thing about creatives. You know that again, a lot of people don't understand that all artists, whether you're a filmmaker, an author, um, a sculptor uh, or a musician, you spend countless hours going back to the point that I said before, countless hours solitude, you know, and it's you and the page and you and the guitar or you with the, the, um, the paintbrush and you have to come with reality. Our society hasn't become cynical about art because art actually does point to something else. There is a transcendental quality without getting, um, too over the top with it. it it points to a beauty right and the idea that that artists you know are are playing in firmly in that world and then eventually when they create piece of music or symphonies or a pop song or a latest guitar riff or a film they're taking the rest of us along for a ride into a world that could be but that can that that's a hard-won world that takes years of dedication and practice and so you know when ricky's rushing by you know, uh, the, the crowd, you know, the payoff came years later, you know, when he's playing stadium with hundreds or thousands and thousands of people. Uh, it's incredible. What are you thinking about Rick when you're, when you're playing in front of all those people? Yeah. I, I don't think any of that changes. And I really like stress the point. I never think about who's watching and how many people there are. You know, it's always been that that classic thing where the kid in his bedroom or his garage, like, and is there by himself or herself, you know, and they're playing and in their mind, they're playing to a million people. I always envision that, you know, and my, it's so funny, like, right. I was thinking about this the other day, my dad, a couple of times, I remember me forgetting to close, like, my bedroom door, I'm full blast with my amp. And then a couple of times we would come in, and be like, you're playing like there's a stadium in your room. <laughs> like the whole neighborhood can hear you right now. Your window is wide open. You're playing so loud. But in my head, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, all those people are already there, you know? So um, going back to what you were asking, like the Super Bowl and things like that, um, stadiums and, and arenas, uh, it like in my mind's eye, it's, it's never changed. Like I'm always in um, my bedroom at my parents' place playing. And, you know, even here, um, in my little studio in the spare bedroom, I've kind of built like my own venue kind of, you know, anything that I want to create with, I try to keep within arm's length, you know, and then just try to, yeah, just recreate a music store in my, my (laughs) 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 yeah. So it's, it's really saved me during this, this pandemic, you know, and then just being able to have the technology now to, um, if I wanted to, um, go on Instagram live and perform a concert for four hours, I could do that and, um, go on Twitch, you know what I mean? And Yeah. The Bluff Podcast is produced and recorded for St. John Henry Newman Catholic Secondary School in Scarborough. 
Ricky, many of your fans, friends, and followers have often seen you jamming out, just crushing riffs of all different shapes and sizes on Instagram, on Twitch, like you mentioned. Does musical composition come as easy to you as it seems to all of us listening? And what goes into that mixture? Is there some kind of special ingredient? And uh, this question is open to both of you. Um, for me personally, I like I have always had kind of the same process, even from high school or when I first started, and, and that's just freedom of expression in music. I, I don't find myself to be an eloquent speaker at all, and and it's really difficult for me to express in words like and and this is another reason I don't do many interviews. I feel like I'm like not communicating uh a hundred percent, you know, with with language, that language. But in, in music, it's never been a problem for me to express myself that way. So it's always just been if I think of something, I record it, no editing involved. And then I do that all of that stuff later. So the the composition element of it has always just been like a Jackson Pollock painting where you just throw paint on the wall and then have everyone else sort of interpret. That's what it is for me anyway. But a lot of people have interpreted it in a way that resonates with them. So um yeah i think i think it's such a personal um uh like a personal signature you know for for even the listener so yeah i, I want to hear how, how marco um this is how growing up and listening to his compositions and arrangements in stage band and the amount of work he put in also just to notate parts for different instruments and, and things like that like i've never been good at that i've attempted it in school and i know the amount of work that it takes to do it so i was also like really curious at that end like how did you do that <laughs> well there, there is there is an academic side of it right um one of the analogies i always use with the students is if you ever watch a speech or televised speech from the united nations you have representatives from around the world and they all have most of them have an earpiece because they may not be conversant in the language of the speaker so what is that earpiece doing it's translating what the text of the speaker is trying to to communicate to the audience. Uh, so as an arranger, what you what you have to be conversant is, is that every instrument um, is, is pitched to a certain scale. Now, you know, it's easy for guitar, piano and bass and singing because they're all in the same key. So if we, you know, play a, a C on, on the bass, it's the same C on the guitar and it's a C on the uh, violin. There are certain instruments that are in this, the key of C, but other instruments are pitched differently. So like the saxophone, there's 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 many saxophones and, and they're pitched in B flat or E flat. And so you have to understand the relationship of scale uh, between the instrument and the piano and then have an idea that you know, when you're listening to a song and the, and the challenge that we always had at school from the time I was a student, I always thought that, you know, you know, I would call them the jazz police. You'd have certain people that say that only certain types of music should be studied in school. And, yeah. and that's great. And we've always had a large um, variety of music that we would teach. But pop music, R&B was never something that was taught. And then the problem that you have when you're listening to, uh, you know, a certain pop song that may not have saxophone or trumpet in it, there, there's a certain academic quality that you have to understand how to translate them for those instruments. Like anything else, like practicing an instrument, it takes time to learn how to craft that idea. And sometimes, you know, making something up that doesn't really belong in the song. So you're using your own creativity, then you have to translate it to the instruments. 
But when it comes to personal composition, the idea is that, and it's taking a thousand years for me to try to figure this out, but the idea that, see, the music is inside all of us. It's like memory. And the fact is that it's invisible, but it touches everything. Um, you know, when you think about it, you know, society, humanity has spent thousands of years crafting instruments, whether you blow into them, pluck them, strike them with a stick to try to get into this invisible orb, this thing that surrounds the earth. And it's people like Ricky who are able to tap into that. So it has nothing to do with, with vocal language, but everything to do with music. It comes from inside. So when you sing from that place, that personal space, that in the end is also the true thing about the artist. You can't be somebody else. Like when he's writing those songs, he's not thinking Eddie Van Halen. He's thinking Ricky. What yeah. what makes me work? You speak from that place, that place that is inside of you. And then as you express that, there's an emotional honesty about that. And that's why I think people aren't cynical about music. Because if you connect to some, it comes from the interior. And it comes from honesty that then resonates with people. When I tried in my simple ways to, to try to create something original i'm not the most technically inclined player i don't have a flashy technique i never did but i always try to use emotional honesty and try to create even if it's one sound if it's a particular sound that just moves a certain way then you can craft a piece of music with that I hope you've been enjoying our first installment of The Music Room with Ricky Tillo and Marco Morone. Tune in next week for part two. Thank you for listening. Goodbye for now. <laughs>